Vicky, I don't see Vicky right now, but if you want Vic, Vicky, you can come up to the front here. Vicky's going to be sharing a message with us in just a few minutes. We'll first have a blessed life moment. You know, tithing, it's like a foundation for, a, for our lives, in a, in a sense. And handling money is like a first step in faithfulness. And uh, we should think about what we're doing with money. Are we being faithful in the little? There's a quote of Gloria Copeland. She said, somebody might say, well, I just have a little money to give. Well, if you'll be faithful, you'll have more. Luke 16, 10 through 13 says this. He who is faithful in a very little thing, this is from the Amplified Classic, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is dishonest and unjust in a very little thing is dishonest and unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the case of unrighteous mammon, deceitful riches, money, possessions, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been proved faithful in that which belongs to another, whether God or man, who will give you that which is your own? That is true riches. And then that's into that scripture there. And then here's a quote of Pastor George Pearson. He says, the handling of someone else's money is a testing ground and a basic qualifier for kingdom promotion and being entrusted with true riches. This all begins with the proper handling of the tithe, which belongs to God. And I know that's something that, man, how old was I? I think I was in the second grade. I remember mom teaching me about the tithe because uh, I was playing baseball in Little League, and I was walking home, and I found a dime. And I showed it to Mom. I was really excited about that dime. And uh, she went to her purse, because this was, I don't know, it was on a Saturday maybe, but she got 10 pennies. She says, 10 pennies is the same as a dime. And she says, what we do is we give to God, and I don't think she used the word tithe, but she says we give him one penny out of those 10 pennies. That's like a tithe. And um, she said, you can put it in the Sunday school plate tomorrow. And I did that. I got it, and I've done it ever since. Thank you, Mom. It's, you know, it's just something that, uh, I guess it's probably easier when it's one penny out of 10 or something, I don't know. But that's what it talks about here, being faithful in the little. I guess that kind of was. But uh, what we find in life is that when we do that, when we're faithful, and now the Lord is, like Joyce and I, you know, a tithe is just a beginning place. And uh, the more we give, the more it just multiplied back so we can give again.
And that's not just to the, like in the church box, but that's a lot of places. But as far as the church here is concerned with tithes and offerings, we do have boxes on the back there that you can place them in. Pray over them as you do, you know, and bless them. And let's have prayer right now. Lord, we do pray over tithes and offerings that we give. It's unto you. Like unto you, our high priest, really, Lord. It's a part of what we have, and we give it to you. We know it really belongs to you. It's yours, really. And so we thank you for your blessing upon it as we do give now. In Jesus' name, amen. And speaking of finances, if you would like to see a copy of our TCC 2018 financial report or the 2019 proposed budget, they're available on the counter of the church office. It's just to the left of the mailboxes there. And uh, if you have any comments, you could give them to one of the elders, myself, or Pastor Dean, Gus, Shogren, or Kent. Um, and then I was just going to give some had questions with the weather. Uh, and I think I maybe have it up there too, that when we have a current like over Sunday morning winter storm warning, say warning, not advisory, but uh, a warning and or a wind chill warning, and that's not advisory, but a warning, there's a difference. Uh, issued the if that happens if there's the warning the worship teams children's ministers and other helps ministry people they're not required to come they use their own discretion but there will not be meals on those days uh, during those warnings Joyce and I will if we're able to we'll come to church and we'll have a service with those that are here those are actually pretty special times it's a smaller group usually but the Holy Spirit is here, and it's been pretty neat the times that that's happened. <clears throat> um, and then we will post weather-related information, including worship service cancellation, if conditions warrant that. We'll put that on our Facebook page and then also on our email list. If you're not on the email list, you'd like to be talk with Pastor Dean or just call the church number and we'll get you on the email list that comes out we have our 9:30 classes in the morning remember those take advantage of those uh, the options for those you can find in those same announcements we send out or on the facebook page same with wednesdays things going on this week there is a prayer meeting this week and a really special prayer meeting last wednesday night um, this this week, Pastor Dean will be teaching, and then we'll go to prayer, see the website, and so forth. And then there will be a memorial service for Sandy Williamson this Saturday, the 26th at 2 <clears throat> o'clock here at TCC. And our church family has been asked to provide bars and cookies for the reception. And they can be brought here like on Wednesday or the day of the memorial service as well. Uh, 
So, those are our announcements. And Vicki, we'll have you mm -hmm. come up here now. <clears throat> Vicki has okay, this is okay. a gift of, of teaching and also evangel, and mm -hmm. I think there's exhortation in there too. And Lord, we just thank you for that anointing upon her, our sister right now, as she, as she brings this word to us of identifying and responding to the enemy's roar. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I guess I gotta turn myself on, I guess. Well, hello? Okay. All right. <laughs> I got, <clears throat> try not to get all twisted up, so. Thank you, Lord. Father, we do. We just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you are faithful to us, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you have given us um, everything that we need, Lord, to be able to walk this life in victory. And I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. And I, I do thank you, Lord, for helping me to know what to share, what not to share. I'm just trusting in you, Holy Spirit. You know what we all need this morning. And so I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Steve did give me the freedom to divide the sermon in two if I need to. <laughs> That's part of my thing. It's like, as I was reading, it's like I kept on, got more and more and more. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is way too much. So um, anyway. Um, so what I titled this message is Identifying and Responding to the Enemy's Roar. And so I want to start by reading 2 Peter 5, 7 to 9. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So that's the first thing Peter tells us. He assures us, tells us not to worry, assures, assures us that God cares about us. And then he says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. So we're going to talk about the enemy's roars and what kind of things that he roars at us and trying to intimidate us and how do we respond to that and then he says resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings um so we um we can't just ignore the enemy which sometimes we feel like doing um the good news is that his words, his threats, his roars, they can't hurt us unless we act on them. They can't hurt us unless we believe them. His roar is really, it's a threat. He's trying to place a claim on us. He's trying to get us into fear. So the enemy's lies and threats, I think... Is that up there? Yes. Okay. So the danger is when we believe them over God's promises. Okay. So the next verse, that the verse, I'm sorry, not the next verse, but the verse says, resist him standing firm in the faith. So how do we resist the enemy? We stand firm in faith. And what is faith? That word in Greek means persuasion. It means to be persuaded. It means to be 
totally convicted of God's truth and to be confident and to be constant in professing that truth. So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to stand firm in our persuasion in God's word being truth. And that's how we come up against the roars of the enemies, enemy. And it's good for us to remember, too, that this isn't abnormal. He said, your brothers throughout the world are suffering in the same way. And so this is a normal part of our walk with the Lord. Well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take us way back 700 years before Jesus was born to a time when King Hezekiah was reigning in, um, in Israel, in Judah. Um, and I want to share with you, as we work through these scriptures, just looking at the different ways that the enemy attacked Hezekiah. Those are some of the very same ways he attacks us today. It's the same devil. The devil back then is the same devil that we have to stand against now. And so there's lots of things we can learn, even those under the old covenant, there's lots of things we can learn that are pictures of how we can walk out our life in victory. And some of those battles that they fought back then, we can apply those to the battles that we fight against the enemy today. So we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 32 and 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, if you want to know where it's at in the Bible. And just to give you a little context of what was happening during this time, it had already been quite a while since the kingdom of Israel had divided into two kingdoms. And the northern kingdom was still was continued to be called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was ruled by Hezekiah at this time, was called Judah. And so um, Hezekiah was a king who was following the Lord with his whole heart. And so let's look at what the, what the word says about Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 31, 20, and 21. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands. He sought God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. That probably could be a whole sermon in itself. But he sought God and he worked wholeheartedly. Okay, so it's the year 722 B.C., Israel and Judah have a common enemy, and that is the king of Assyria, which was a neighboring country. The king's name was Sennacherib, and he hated God's people, and he wanted to take over their land. Well, in the year 722, he took Israel captive, and he deported them all to Assyria. And it says in the Bible this happened because they weren't obeying the Lord. Well, eight years later the king of Assyria came back after Judah and King Hezekiah, and he ended up capturing all the cities of Judah, but not Jerusalem. And that's where Hezekiah was reigning from. But so he comes against King Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem. And so now we're going to look at some of the things that he roared against the king, King Hezekiah. I believe we can get some really helpful insights, both and what the devil's threats or roars are, and how we should respond to them. Let's start in verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. 
Okay, now down to verse um, 17 and 18, we see how King Hezekiah responded to um, when he came to attack Jerusalem, the city he was reigning from. Um, he sent his messengers. He didn't come personally, but he sent his messengers with a message to intimidate King Hezekiah. And I want to point out that the devil loves to send his messengers to intimidate us and to bring us into fear. He loves to send us reports of um, we're going to fail financially, we're going to die from this disease or that disease, or this bad thing is going to happen in my family or to my children. Um, so 2 Kings 18, 17 to 19. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. They called for the king, and Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, so these are King Hezekiah's workers, Shebna the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, recorder went out to him. So it was King Hezekiah's workers, the people he was working with, his leaders, that he sent out to talk to these messengers that were coming from the enemy. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? Have you ever heard the devil say that to you? What are you basing your confidence on? Who do you think you are? Like, you know, do you think God's really going to come through for you? What are you basing your confidence on? And then in 2 Chronicles 32, 18, we have a parallel passage because we have the accounts of King Hezekiah in, in both of those um, books of the Bible. Then they, the messengers, that's talking about the messengers of King Assyria, called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who are on the wall. And why did he call out to them? He said he called out to terrify them and to make them afraid in order to capture the city. And if the devil can get us into fear, that fear can paralyze us. If he can terrorize us and get us into fear, then he has the ability to capture us. Okay? And that's what it said that the, the people wanted, the messengers from the enemy wanted to do to the people in Jerusalem. He called, they called out to him to terrify them and to make them afraid in order to capture the city. So we could say roar number one is intimidation and fear. Notice he said the great king of Assyria. He was making himself big. And that's what the devil tries to do to us. He tries to make himself so big and intimidating. He, he exalts himself over the Lord God, right? Um, and, and fear will paralyze us. So we don't want to, we can't give in to that roar. We can't start believing the enemy's lies, no matter what our scenario is. Um, and roar number two is he challenges our confidence and our trust in God. He said, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? Saying, God can't help you. This situation is too big. But what does the Lord say? Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. 
And listen to what King Hezekiah told his people. I think this is an excellent word for us today. 2 Chronicles 32, 6 to 8. He encourages them with these words, starting in verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because, the king, because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. So he's acknowledging, right, that the enemy has a vast army. It's not like we have... We're, we're not trying to say that the devil... Uh, you know, that he couldn't do any harm. He acknowledges, like, if, you know, if you apply this to, you know, any sort of situation in your life, if you're going through, like, financial struggle or you've been giving a, given a bad prognosis from a doctor, um, it's not that we don't acknowledge those things, but it's how we respond to those reports. Um, so here's what he said. There is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people, what happened to them when they heard those words? The people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Wow, we need to just gain confidence from what God says. And that's what happens when we get into the word. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've experienced it in different times in your life when you know, you just are feeling overwhelmed. Some, you got a really bad report that tried to just totally paralyze you. I had this happen to me. You know, and all of a sudden, the revelation comes of, so begin to meditate on God's word. This is what God says. I'm going to believe what God says. And you start to meditate on what God says, and it changes. It changes everything. The peace of God comes flowing in all of a sudden. You know, you don't feel down. You can, you're not paralyzed by fear. You can walk through your day. You're standing on God's word. Ephesians 6, 16 to 18. Let's take a look at that. What does Paul tell us to do? He says, take up the shield of faith. And I looked that word up again. It's that same Hebrew word that means persuasion. It means being convicted of God's truth. It means being constant in that profession. So take up that shield of faith. Be persuaded with what God says. And when you do that, it says you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've got... We've got a weapon. We have got a powerful weapon that cuts right through anything the enemy can do. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So there we have three responses that we can give to the lion's roar. Be persuaded of God's truth. Be more persuaded of his truth than you are of the roars and the lies of the enemy. Another response, take up the sword that God has given us, the word of God. And a third response, pray in the spirit. Man, pray in tongues. If you can pray in tongues, pray in the spirit. You can be praying right over top of the enemy's head and cutting through all kinds of things. Um, okay, so let's get back to King Hezekiah. All right, now we're down to verse 20, 2 Kings 18, 20. So here's another thing the enemy's messengers said. You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against us? So the devil tries to tell us 
that our words are empty and powerless. Now, that totally contradicts what the Word of God says, right? Um, and when he tells us our words are empty and powerless, yes, if we're just speaking our own words from our own minds, right? But if we are speaking God's Word, what does the Bible say about God's Word? Isaiah 55, verse 11, God says, My word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty. That's the opposite of what the, King Hezekiah, of what the messenger said to King Hezekiah. He said, you speak only empty words. But that's not what God says about his word. He says, my word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, that gets me excited. Because if God sent his word, it says in Psalm 107.20, God sent his word to heal me. And so God sent his word to heal me. It says right here that his word that goes out to him won't return empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. That means if he sent his word to heal me, then by his stripes I am healed. Amen? Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. It is operative. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's powerful. And then Proverbs 18.21 is a very sobering verse and exciting verse at the same time. It says that the power of life and death is in our tongue. I think the devil really tries to hide that from us both with how we can just be speaking garbage out of our mouths. We can, you know, we can talk ourselves into depression. I mean, I've, I've seen myself do it before. You know, all of a sudden I realize, yuck, the stuff that was coming out of my mouth, it makes me feel really icky. I should not have said that. And it's like, okay, what do I need to do? I need to start pouring in the word and start speaking the kingdom of God opposite. What does God have to say about that situation and start to speak that instead? Okay, 2 Kings 18.22. The enemy has another thing that his messenger, the, the messenger is saying. And if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? And so this is an interesting scripture. I did a little bit of study on what in the world this was talking about and why why um, uh, the king of Assyria's messengers would say this. As it turns out, um, Hezekiah removed all of the high places in Israel, even the places, at some high places, the Israelites and the people of Judah were going to worship pagan gods. So that was kind of a no-brainer. you got to get rid of those. But also, God had commanded the people to worship in Jerusalem, in his temple. And some of those high places, they had turned into places where they actually were worshiping the Lord God. But they really weren't supposed to be doing it that way. And Hezekiah was the only one that, one of the kings that actually totally, I think he was the only one that, that actually removed those places too. And so some of the people took offense at him. And so as I was just kind of pondering that, it's like, wow. That's actually another roar of the enemy is when he tries to get us offended at either God or offended at one another. Because if we're offended at God or if we're offended at our brothers and sisters, 
it's really going to hamper our being able to believe God's word and to really stand on his word. And so I'd say there's two roars of the enemy from this particular passage. He, first of all, he said, um, he, he said, you know, if you're saying you're depending on God, you know, ha-ha, you, you, you know, God isn't dependable. So that's one of his roars. He challenges our dependence on God. And he also tries to get us to take up offenses against God and against our brothers and sisters. Okay, let's look at 2 Kings 18.25. The enemy goes on. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. So the enemy actually had the audacity to tell King Hezekiah that God himself had told him to attack the city. Now, if you think about that in our lives, how often does the devil come to us and try to convince us that God is actually the source of our sickness? That God is the source of our disease. That God is the source of our financial failure. He's trying to teach us something. That it's actually God's will. Um, and so that's one of the fights we have to fight. Um, like if you get a bad report from the enemy, it's, um, I, I think the devil often comes and tries to let us know, well, this is, this is just God's will for you. Um, so... We need to recognize what God's word says so that we can recognize when it's the devil's lie, right? So we really need to immerse ourselves in his word. What does God say? Here's God's response. John 10.10, this is what Jesus said. The thief comes only to kill, to steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Psalm 35, 27, David said, Exalted be the Lord who delights in the well-being of his servant. Isn't that a good verse to meditate on? And that's the word shalom. That word well-being is actually shalom. It means, and if, here's what shalom means. Shalom means safe. It means well, happy, friendly, welfare, as in faring well, okay? Health, prosperity, and peace. So we could say the Lord delights, he delights in the safety of us. He delights in the well-being of us. You can say that of me. He delights in my well-being. He delights in the health of us. He delights in us being healthy. He delights in our prosperity. He delights in us having peace. I could probably stop right there. You know, that is, that is a powerful, powerful scripture. Um, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Second Kings 18, 29 to 32. The, the messenger of the enemy goes on. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver you. This city 
will not be, that should be given, this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So he's saying, don't let Hezekiah persuade you that, God's gonna, that God is going to do these things for you. And so he says instead, we jump down to the middle of verse 31, make peace with me, then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come to take you. That sounds a little ominous. Until I come to take you to a land like your own. And then he goes at the end of the verse, he says, choose life and not death. That's the devil talking through his messenger. Can you see how he's twisting God's word? Isn't God the one that said choose life and not death? And what, are the, what is it that God said that we need to do to choose life and not death? Okay, let's look at that. Um, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This day, he says, I have set before you life and death. Blessing. Now, this is God speaking. Blessings and curses. Now choose life. And why? So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land. Can you see how that's a total flip opposite of what the messenger of, of um, the enemy of Hezekiah said? The total opposite. So we can see that the enemy twists God's word. Okay, <clears throat> Second Kings, um, down to verse 32. The enemy goes on, Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Okay, there's another roar from the enemy. The enemy tells us not to listen to God, right? And Hezekiah was actually speaking God's word to the people. He's saying God is going to deliver you. But the devil says, when God comes to us and says, I'm going to deliver you, I will deliver you. I will heal you. I will take care of all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. The devil comes to us and tells us, don't pay any attention to God's word. He gets us distracted. He keeps us from getting it into our heart. And he tries down to tear down our confidence to proclaim God's word and promises in faith. So how do we respond? We need to proclaim God's word in the face of the enemy's roars. Amen? Um, okay, let's go down to 2 Kings 18, 34 to 35. <clears throat> the enemy goes on. Where are the gods of... And I have dot, 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 because I'm not going to read them all. He goes, this city and that city and this enemy and that city. He goes, where are all their gods? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? So he's talking about Israel. He said, see, all these gods, you know, they, they, haven't, deli they haven't delivered... Um, they, they didn't deliver Samaria. I, got, I took them captive. Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And then a parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 32, 15, 13 to 15. The enemy speaks again. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their, their land from my hand? <clears throat> Who of all the gods of these nations that my fathers destroyed have been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? 
Now, do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your god deliver you from my hand? Excuse me. He's talking about the living God of the universe. And he's saying, so the enemy is saying, your God can't deliver you. You know, look at what happened to all these other ones. Now, so here is another lie or roar from the enemy. He tries to get us to compare our bad circumstances, our bad report, to the bad report of what's happened to other people who had that same bad report, okay? Just like the enemy was telling King Hezekiah, you know, look at what happened to all these other people when they trusted in their gods. But obviously their gods were different. Our God is a living God. His word is powerful. His word can change, um, can totally transform a sickness into health. He can transform. He can totally, he is the miracle-working God. So if somebody else died from the same disease the doctor just told me I have, that's not, I, that doesn't have to be the case for me. I have God's report, okay? So don't base your faith on the track record of others who have been in your same circumstance and maybe haven't seen, um, haven't seen good results. So we have to decide whose progno- prognosis we're going to believe. Um, a prognosis in the medical terminology, it's the probable course or an outcome of a disease or the likelihood or chance that you're going to survive or recover. And so the enemy tries to put fear in our hearts and he tries to get us to focus on the doctor's report, to fixate on that. Like we go to bed and we hear those words over and over again in your mind, you know, like this percent of people died from this. This is how this disease naturally progresses. This is what's going to happen to you. And so you're fixating. What are you doing when you're fixating on that? You're meditating on it, right? And so when you meditate on a bad report, whether it be, I'm talking a lot about health and and sickness, but it also goes for finances, it goes for like, if there's a relationship that's gone awry, you know, you know, you hear a bad report like, oh my goodness, you know, something just happened to, um, you know, my child is going off in this direction and getting involved in this group of people, they're going to lead them astray, it's like, oh no, you know, you hear a bad report, you know, your mind is going, and you know, this or that, and what's going to happen, but instead, we need to meditate on God's word. Get his word in our heart for that situation. So let's take the report of the Lord. Um, How did Hezekiah respond to the threats of the enemy? Okay, 2 Kings 19, 1 to 4. When Hezekiah heard this, he wasn't very happy about it, was it? Was he? He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. Okay, so he, his, his response was to run to the Lord, right? And that's what we need to do. And then he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. And they told him, this is what King Hezekiah says. So here he's, he, his leaders have gone to Isaiah, a man of God. Sounds like a good something good to do is to go to a man of God, someone who's in faith. 
He says, this is what Hezekiah say, says, this is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace as when the children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still, still survives. So his response was to approach the Lord in humility, really acknowledging his total inability to deal with the situation. And that's okay. You know, we need God. We can't, we don't have the ability in ourselves. It's because of who he is and what his word says. Okay, another response. Ask for ministry from those who know the Lord and who are in faith. That's, I think that's a key thing, you know. People that actually believe God's word, that can pray and can speak God's word to you, can encourage you with what God's word said. Okay, 2 Kings 19, 6 and 7. Isaiah responded, Tell your master, in other words, tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord says. That's what we got to perk up and listen to. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. And I just want to speak that to you today. If you've heard a bad report, do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And so that's how Isaiah looked at what the enemy had to say. He said, first of all, don't be afraid of them. And then he said, oh, you know, I mean, the devil is so much less powerful than we make him. I just preach that to myself right now. He is so much less powerful than we, than we let him be, right? He, he said he's an underling. That's what, he, that's what um, Isaiah said about King Isaiah's enemies. They were underlings, and they've blasphemed the living God. He said, listen he said, I'm going to put such a spirit in him, in other words, in Sennacherib, the enemy, that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. And that actually did happen. So, um, I've already, I just see my next part here, I've already said a lot of this. So when we hear a bad report, don't be afraid of what we've heard. Recognize that it's the underlings of the enemy that have brought the bad report against us. And so let's start, you know, if we need favor, Psalm 512 says, the Lord says, I will surround you with favor like a shield. Amen? If we need healing, the word says, Isaiah 53, 5, by Jesus' stripes we have been healed. In Psalm 103, 2 through 5, it says, don't forget his benefits. He forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Philippians 4.19, what about our provision? What's God's word say? He provides for all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He says that he'll satisfy us with a long life and show us his salvation. Psalm 91.16. And so um, I've made it almost... I've made it about halfway through, and so I'm going to, um, I have, I have um, one more great scripture to share with you, and then I may have an opportunity to finish sharing the rest of it with you another time. And actually, the thing that actually got me delved into this scripture was after hearing a bad report, 
um, I had a friend share with me as she was praying. She said, do like, you know, like the king of Israel, he spread out the bad report before the Lord. And so that's the next part that's coming, how he spread out that bad report before the Lord and he took it before God, okay? So um, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God. So all those promises that I just was speaking about God being our healer, um, God providing for all of our needs, God giving us favor when we need it, God giving us a long life. It says no matter how many promises God has made, all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen to the glory of God. God says yes and amen to his own word. He says yes and amen to his word. So you know what? All of heaven agrees with the word of God. So we have all of heaven on our side when we are agreeing with the word of God. I like that. All of heaven is on our side. And that's where I'm going to end, when we're agreeing with God's word. Amen? So, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. I just thank you, Father, Lord, that no matter what kind of bad report the enemy has sent us through his messengers, that we believe the report of the Lord. Father God, we believe all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We believe, Lord, your word. We're persuaded that your word is true and that the enemy's word is a lie. And Lord, we're just going to agree with your word, Lord. And we know that all of heaven is agreeing with us as we agree with your, your word, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord. I ask that this word would just encourage our hearts, encourage us to stand on your word no matter what the circumstances are that we're facing, no matter what kind of reports we've had, Lord. We trust in you and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you. Now I can take this off. Thank you so much, Vicki. Oh. You are a gift to us. And uh, I'm going to have you stay up here. I'm going to have Adam come up too. And uh, there'll be other ministers. If you would like prayer after the service here, we'd like to invite you to come for that. And also, uh, thank you, Vicki, but thank you for the those in the sound booth back there. Anthony, great job of <laughs> keeping up with stuff there. Let's give Ant let's give all yes. the guys back there. You know, these are the ones up here that we see, but what goes on back there is so important. And and the thing of the eye gate too, of seeing things up there, at least for me, not everybody's that way I know, but uh, for me the eye gate is a huge thing. And um, let's see here. I got a couple of next week. Joyce is going to be sharing with us. She's talking about going to be talking about heaven, right? Might be angels. Okay, angels in heaven. Well, that's either one. It sounds good. Angels on earth, right? <laughs> okay, well, good. And uh, Bethany, I see you're here. Happy birthday to you. Bethany Salmonson. And Adana Marie are preparing the meal today, and Maria's birthday is tomorrow, so you'll have to greet her. She's not in here, but she'll be back. 
they're serving food. And uh, I got asked this, how many have long underwear on this morning? How many have all what? I'm not the only one, am I? Put your hands up there, I, I got long underwear. It was 31 degrees below <laughs> when, I, when we were on our way here this morning. And 35 up at the ranch there by Callier. And anybody else have lower than 35 below? What'd you have? 36 and a half. <laughs> okay. Hallelujah. So, okay, yes, and we have a, a meal. It's a, a great Mexican meal. I'm not sure what it is. Yes, everyone invited. So God bless you all and keep you. But Adam, if you could come up too. If anyone that would like prayer, just come forward.